Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Liz Loza, joined by my usual Sunday night co-host, Matt Harmon. And instead of recapping a full day of NFL action, we're here to recap the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft. Now, guys, just a reminder, we are a fantasy football podcast. So most of what we're going to talk about here is going to be focused on fantasy-relevant players. But before we get to all of that, Matt, big trades. Big feelings, big money, lots of big things happened during the draft. The Ravens traded Marquise Brown and a number 100 pick to the Cardinals for a number 23 pick. Oh, yes. I want some thoughts. I didn't see this one coming, uh, which is crazy because apparently uh, James Palmer from the NFL Network said that this has been agreed upon for a little bit now. So much to the point that Marquise Brown was actually on stage at the... uh, at, at the at the Cardinals draft party, which is nuts. He didn't tell uh, Lamar. He didn't tell Lamar <laughs> yeah, about no, it. <laughs> nobody mentioned it to Lamar Jackson, who uh, I seem to be pretty caught off guard based on uh, what he tweeted. Um, I, I, this is interesting. From you know, look, it, it's interesting. Obviously, is that we didn't see it coming from you know we've been talking about Debo Samuel, we've been talking about DK Metcalf and AJ Brown, who did get traded, but um, you know Marquise Brown wasn't really considered in, in this whole thought process. He he does have an extra year; he has the fifth year option, uh, whereas those guys do not. So maybe that uh, maybe that comes into Arizona's calculus too, in terms of like when they extended him, when they're going to extend him, or something like that. But I will say, Marquise Brown's a pretty good player. Um, he's not a number one receiver. You know, he's not, he's not AJ Brown. He's not DK Metcalf. And, you know, Debo is a different guy than all of those players, but, um, you know, Marquise Brown's not that guy, but he can be a pretty decent replacement for Christian Kirk as a vertical slot receiver. Um, and you know, that, that's great. Uh, it's an aggressive move though. Um, like, you know, a first round pick being involved for a trade for Marquise Brown. I, I don't know that I would have seen that one coming. You mentioned that it's a really aggressive move um, and that the value of it is maybe inflated. And I have to imagine that part of the reason is as a make good to Kyler Murray, who, though it feels like 300 years ago, very recently scrubbed his social media, um, (laughs) uh, scrubbed, I should say, the Arizona Cardinals of his social media. So, like, obviously they were teammates together in Oklahoma, and so – at least partially, in addition to the Christian Kirk piece of it, that also had to have been part of the reasoning from the Cardinals. 
Yeah, uh, for sure. And I know at one point, Steve Kime kind of laughed off uh, when asked about, you know, is Kyler Murray able to give input? He's like, oh, well, he'd probably just tell me to draft an offensive player. Ha ha ha. I actually just like to draft all linebackers right. all the time in the first <laughs> round. Ha ha ha. But then this is this is clearly it's got to be a make good to Kyler. It's interesting spinning it back to Baltimore, too. I was just reading a pro football talk piece that like apparently Marquise Brown actually requested to be traded at the, at the end of last season. So this has clearly been in the works for a while. Eric DaCosta called it a, quote, complicated topic, uh, which I found interesting. So I wonder what was going on there kind of behind the scenes. But obviously, Liz, I mean, the real the real takeaway here is like this is Rashad Bateman season. Absolutely. Marquise Brown averaged over nine targets per game in 2021. Now, obviously, injuries were a huge part of the 2021 season for the Ravens, but that volume, I mean, give me seven targets a game. I'm still happy with Rashad Bateman, who's a pretty darn efficient player. Who who can be a number one receiver. Like I said earlier in the show, I, I like Marquise Brown is not that player. I don't think even at his peak, he was ever really going to be that player. Rashad Bateman profiles as an inside outside guy can win at the X receiver spot can be like a volume hog for an offense. Um, I think the Ravens clearly watched the tape. Uh, and saw like, okay, I don't care about, you know, the fact that they played him as, you know, behind Sammy Watkins or whatever sometimes. Like, this is a huge, huge show of faith in Rashad Bateman, a guy they drafted in the first round last year. And they had two first round picks, obviously, from this trade this year, and they didn't take any wide receivers so far. So Bateman should be atop everybody's, like, breakout candidate list. 100%. And Rondell Moore truthers. Sorry. It's going to be a minute. I mean, Rondell Moore ain't even played like he not even played like real wide receiver in the NFL yet. So come on, like, I don't know what the hell he was doing last year, but like he wasn't playing wide receiver. We got a lot. <laughs> People got a really lot of held on to the there. top of the season though. It was gonna happen. It was gonna happen. But the Bateman truthers are certainly winning out in 2022 if all of this holds to be true. We're bearing the lead a little bit though because I think the bigger news, at least if we're following the money is the Titans trading A.J. Brown to the Eagles in exchange for the for Philadelphia's 18th overall pick and another third-round pick. But then the Eagles are going to give Brown a four-year, $100 million extension that includes $57 million guaranteed. This is what we have seen throughout the offseason, these wide receivers grabbing the bag, making these moves, I have to wonder from fantasy, I mean, like, then the Titans go ahead and they draft Traylon Burks. We're going to get into that a little bit more, but obviously, and Traylon Burks comped similarly to A.J. Brown, so that would be the quote, you know, replacement. Obviously, Burks, a rookie, is going to be much cheaper than $100 million, (laughs) and so, and $57 of that guaranteed. So, while that seems to be a trend in the NFL, I'm curious to hear how you feel it's affecting fantasy because now the glut, there already was a glut of wide receiver threes, this giant, you know, middle of the draft where we're throwing darts. And now it feels like the value to us is similar uh, in terms of finding these younger players who start immediately than maybe some of the vets who were previously at the top of draft boards. Yeah, I think that the way we approach wide receivers, it might almost lend you to do what some of these teams have done this offseason, like, you know, a, a team like the Dolphins or a team. I mean, the Eagles are the perfect example, right? Like they are out here. They took freaking J.J. Sega whiteside in the second round in 2019. 
they took Jalen Rager in 2020. And I think they got it right with Devontae Smith last year, but that's still two out of the three. You screwed up. So Howie Roseman says, enough. Let me just go get a star. Let me go get a superstar player. And a guy that I think in A.J. Brown could be a top five NFL wide receiver. That's the type of ability he has shown so far in the pros. So Howie Rosen's like, I, I'm not going to use another first round pick on a wide receiver. I'm gonna, Well, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it for a guy I know is good. And obviously the Raiders did that with Devontae Adams. The uh, Dolphins did that with Tyreek Hill. And I guess the Cardinals did that sort of with Marquise Brown, but that's we, we just touched on that. Uh, weird, weird one. Doesn't really fall in the same group. Um, so in a way, fantasy drafters might look at that and be like, yeah, there's this glut of wide receiver threes, but why don't I go and lock in a Stefan Diggs or a Justin Jefferson or a Cooper Cup at the top of my draft and like and then I'll sort of piece together the wide receiver core instead of like trying to pluck from the depth. Is that, is that a weird analogy to make or does it make any sense? No, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think the only, um, not even asterisk, but the question mark in it is that because a lot of those marquee proven names at the wide receiver position no longer have the quarterbacks that they right. were once attached to that definitely boosted their value. And I even think if we're talking about A.J. Brown, you know, Jalen Hurts, is not the passer that Ryan Tannehill is. Now, I'm not going to move A.J. Brown because I don't really think it's that big of a difference. But I, I also feel like that might be part of this equation and the unknown. Like, I, I don't know. How are you going to rank Tyreek Hill with Tua throwing him the ball? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think with all of these guys, and Brown, I think, is perfectly kind of encapsulates this. Like, we're going to have to talk about, like, is does the history of wide receivers changing teams like I, I feel like we kind of stopped talking about it after like DeAndre Hopkins you know after had Mari a great Cooper. season with the Cardinals oh well, yeah and then like Steph Diggs has the best season of yeah. his career with the, in the first year with the Bills because I think those these guys are all like elite level talents like Tyree Kill Devontae Adams uh and and AJ Brown is in that group for me too um so we've never really seen like we often don't see wide receivers of this caliber change teams although the history of, of wide receivers changing teams there's obviously some bad examples out there so I don't know that's a part of the conversation too but yeah from just particularly on like a micro level with AJ Brown and the Eagles the Eagles were one of the most pass-heavy offenses in the NFL to start the season. And then when it was like, this is not working for us, they became more of this run-heavy offense. Where is their identity going to fall this year? Like, are they going to be somewhere in the middle? Will they trend more pass-heavy because they have an elite alpha receiver? And, like, let's not forget that Devonta Smith is a really good player, too, and had a great rookie season. I actually think is probably going to be in a more comfortable role, you know, not being, like, the X receiver because that's going to probably go to A.J. Brown because he's just a great player and he can fit that role better than Devonta Smith will. Like they've got two good young receivers and they have AJ Brown, like cost controlled until his age 28 season. So they've got these guys like right smack in the prime of their career. You'd think that they would want to throw the ball a little bit more, but you know, is Jalen hurts really, is he equipped for that? Um, obviously from a dynasty angle, you know, it, I don't think Jalen hurts is going to be the long-term quarterback. Uh, so, and it, but if he is like, if he's good enough this year, then Great, then the quarterback situation is solved. So I, I don't know. I think that you're right. I'm probably not going to move A.J. Brown too much, but like I said, I've always believed he had this elite-level season, you know, like a nuclear Devontae Adams-type season in his range of outcomes in Tennessee um, because of his familiarity with the quarterback. Like if the volume had ever been there, like that could have been – that could have. and in the cards, I don't know that it's in the cards here in Philadelphia. 
I will say, I think the point that you made a little earlier but about, about Devonta Smith needs to be reiterated in that he's a big winner in terms of fantasy value here. Now, Devonta Smith is not just um, stuck on the perimeter. He can now be moved around. He can go inside and he obviously will receive, I mean, the coverage will be more favorable to him. Sure, and yeah. I feel like there's some opportunities here for him to get free. And it's not just a volume play, an inefficient volume play anymore. Now there's an opportunity for him to actually make good on all of them. I mean, he was like top nine in deep looks last year, but he can make good on those. He can convert on those, especially when you've got A.J. Brown then like racking up the yards after the catch. Also, by the way, I mean, like A.J. Brown was top 11 in deep looks too. So this could become, to your point, I guess, a, a more aerial offense if Jalen Hurts has it in him, and I guess that's the biggest if. Um, let's let's start talking about these rookies then, since we're seeing this discrepancy between these vets high, high up, and then these rookies who are forced into action so immediately. But before we do that, <laughs> top five picks of the NFL draft were all defensive. Jags started out with Trayvon Walker out of Georgia. The Lions go to Aiden Hutchinson, keeping the homegrown kid in uh, in Motor City. The Texans get themselves a cornerback. Lovey Smith obviously knows defense with Derek Stingley. That was a bit of a surprise because a lot of people had Sauce Gardner, who goes one spot later to the Jets, ahead of Stingley. And then the Giants rounded out the top five with Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, the Giants and the Jets, by the way, having a really good draft. I yeah. can't wait for it to fall apart in some way that is only uh, appropriate for <laughs> the Big Apple media markets. Uh. Yeah. Hey, how about Aiden Hutchinson uh, having like, you know, his uh, manifestation journal like stitched into it? You didn't like that? didn't like it. No, a little too on the nose. I like that his mom sewed it for him. That was very sweet. That's always nice. Uh, yeah. I, I thought it was a little too, um, I don't know. I, you know, I like that woo-woo stuff too, but like that that's was- why, really That's why I asked. Yeah. That's why, yeah. I don't know. I thought you'd be into no. it, but uh, interesting. Um, too, I feel like too that much. needs I, to be a quiet thing. Like people can't be loud about their manifestations. Yeah. Like your manifestations are for you not to like- It's like when you say when you say your birthday candle wish out loud, then it doesn't come true. Is that, That's a perfect you, analogy. That is the douchiest thing that's someone the, could yeah, do. I was, I was gonna say that's the dumb that's the dumb the dumb boy uh, explanation for it. Well, you say your birthday wish out loud that it doesn't come true. That's like the manifestation equivalent. My Anyways. favorite girl version of that is like the tattoo on the forearm that says trust, and then an arrow facing towards like your heart. Oh my god, it's the worst. It's the worst. But you know who's not the worst? Drake London <laughs> is by no means the worst. In fact, he was the first wide receiver selected in the 2022 NFL Draft. I thought that I thought he was going to go at the 10 spot to the Jets. He went two spots sooner to the Atlanta Falcons. Obviously, a lot of talk. The, media, the minute you think you okay, Drake London, he's like, what, 6'4", 33-inch wingspan, contested catch king, coming off of a bit of an injury, had to reschedule his pro day because he messed up his hammy, like tweaked his hammy, which was uh, clearly Atlanta. Not worried about it. They're not concerned. They want to pair him with Kyle Pitts and round uh, the need, obviously, without Calvin Ridley available. So now you've got Kyle Pitts, who's 6'6", and also has a 33-inch wingspan. And Marcus Mariota, though, I have to imagine that we're going to have some answers to another yeah. quarterback in the next few days. I'm hoping for Desmond Ritter, for what it's worth, um, as the quarterback flinging these balls to these two giant skyscrapers yeah it could be a round two quarterback could be a situation where they just 
make this an attractive landing spot for a quarterback in 2023 if they just want to go for next year's draft class. Um, I think the Eagles, again, they might be doing the same thing, right? Like, hey, if it doesn't work out with Jalen Hurts, we're just going with the, for a quarterback next year and making an attractive landing spot. The Falcons do the, the same thing here with Drake London. And, um, man, I think Arthur Smith ju- must just be so excited for the way he can – use Drake London and Kyle Pitts who kind of have similar games despite the fact that they have you know a WR and a TE designation next to their name like you know they used Kyle Pitts outside more than any other tight end last year like Drake London can be used as a kind of a big slot receiver too I love Drake London's game you know I don't let any hater out there tell you he doesn't get separation like he absolutely does get open he's got great ability I think he's the best underneath receiver in this draft class despite his size but obviously he can win contested catches down the field um I I think he has a lot of like Michael Thomas or Brandon Marshall to his game with some of that, like Mike Williams verticality as a combative contested catch receiver downfield so I think it makes sense as a top 10 pick for an offense that's absolutely starved for wide receiver help. I mean, Calvin Ridley ain't coming back to this team this year and probably never again. Uh, so, yeah, for me, I, I love the landing spot for Drake London, it, you know, going to get a ton of volume. And you think, too, that like Marcus Mariota's style, which is pretty like at its best point guardish, like he's going to get the ball out quick. He's going to be like a distributor that actually kind of fits with like the best routes in Drake London's game. And Drake London also, I mean, maybe we shouldn't knock the quarterback talent because what he was able to do with some horrific oh talent at USC under center Those is a testament. It was rough, right? It <laughs> rough, was, I was yeah. watching that and I was like, man, no wonder he's like, no wonder he got hurt and he's still offensive player of the year because he deserved it with what he was able to pull off. Um, put a pin, put a pin in, in exactly what we just said for when we talk about Jahan Dotson with the commanders here in a little bit, too. Truth, truth. Um, I also want to commend you, Matt, for not for talking about both Kyle Pitts and Drake London without bringing up their basketball backgrounds. Well done. Well, well, didn't I mean. We'll save that for the regular season when we need some like, you know, uh, <laughs> fill in. Did you guys know? Let's just, I need to fill in, you know, 20 seconds of airtime here. I'll just throw out this stupid fact everybody already knows. Two picks later, Garrett Wilson, who was my number one receiver on my my personal talent evaluation board, um, goes to the Jets with the 10th pick. I, I think this is exciting. Honestly, like, yeah. uh, to me, Garrett Wilson's ability to be acrobatic, his body control, his spatial awareness. It is absolutely gorgeous. I love the idea of him and Elijah Moore on the same field together. I love that CJ Uzoma is there and Tyler Conklin, I guess, as well, to like balance things out. You've got Michael Carter, who's a wonderful pass-catching running back available. I think that the Jets... Corey Davis? Anyone? Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, Corey <laughs> Davis as well. I just, I, I'm a little bit. He's had one season, right? Yeah, like he yeah. had one. We're, season. we're on the same page. We're on, okay, we're on the same. Page. Um, I, I feel like this is a really great spot for Wilson, who is now part of an offense that is starting to round itself out. Yeah, and I think obviously the first thing that pops up for 
most fans of Garrett Wilson, and I'm a Garrett Wilson fan too, you know, is that he does get open. He gets separation. Um, I kind of compare him to like a flashier Deontay Johnson, because I think like Garrett Hmm. Wilson has some, has some rough drops every now and again, he makes some mistakes. And like, I'm a big Deontay Johnson fan, like one of the biggest out there, but I would even admit he makes mistakes. Right. And I think so that, that kind of comparison makes sense to me. But the thing that really, I think is Garrett Wilson's best trait. It's not his ability to run routes and get separations. Actually, his ability in the open field, his ability to break tackles as a yak threat, which is a huge, you know, a focal point in this Shanahan style offense there in New York. So I bet that's probably one of the first things that they really liked about Garrett Wilson. And I mean, look at the look at the Jets. They've got two guys in Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore. To, like they're these guys are explosive. They get separation at every levels. Like, I mean, the, we're sitting here talking about Corey Davis. Is like, I mean, yeah, maybe Corey Davis can do some stuff. Like that's that's luxury for the Jets that they've not had in quite some time. Well, it's also evidence of them completely leaning in on the putting back together again of Zach Wilson. Yes, yes. I mean, again, the, Elijah Moore never really popped off with Zach Wilson. No. Uh, necessarily it was more so with like Mike White and um, you know Joe Flacco even Josh Johnson a couple of times uh, last season you know they want to get all these guys popping off together and you know Zach Wilson he can sling that thing downfield you know we know we know that Um, if he's honed in a little bit if he's protected, uh, that was the biggest thing coming out of BYU. Yes. Remember, I mean, he was able to like make these off balance throws, these left cross, but left handed cross body throws. But he also had a wild amount of time. Um, and they did add Lakin Tomlinson uh, to the offensive line, which I have to imagine, like the team believes in Zach Wilson and wants to get the best out of him and are correctly identifying the pieces around him that need to be put into place in order for that to happen, which I think is very smart uh, coaching. The one situation to watch here, you know, they obviously get Sauce Gardner in the top five picks, they on fourth overall. They come back for Jermaine Johnson, a guy that, you know, some New York beat writers were saying they could have taken fourth overall. Obviously, they get Garrett Wilson. They don't come away with an offensive tackle. So they are really banking on Makai Becton to come back healthy and like be healthy and be ready to rock. That is a situation that there was a cut like there were whispers at last year's camp that he came in. And there were concerns even before he got hurt because, like, Carl Lawson, their their defensive free agent signing was, like, kicking his ass in camp. And, you know, he wasn't totally in shape. So, like, Joe Douglas needs that pick from a couple of years ago to hit for his last year's pick to hit. But he's still beefing things up here. So there's, there's a lot, of like, riding, obviously, on Zach Wilson. But there's a couple other things that need to work here, too. From Garrett Wilson to teammate Chris Olave, who goes 11th to New Orleans. They traded up. Um, it was originally the commander's pick, but the Saints traded up to get Olave. Now, I believe Olave is your number one wide receiver. Is that number right? Two. Number no, two. I number think he's two. my. No, he's from a talent perspective. Yeah, this is funny. Yeah. Like, we actually haven't talked prospects at all to this point because, you know, you've been on with Ed Holm and I've been with a bunch of other goofballs on the podcast, too. Um, like, I liked your Matt Waldman episode, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Waldman's the man. Um, Chris Olave, like, 
it's tempting to put him as my number one because I do love him so much. But Drake London, I think, probably ends up as my as my number one receiver from like a talent perspective. But yeah, Olave is at least two for me. Um, I just love the way he's you know he's a pro level route runner. He already knows how to do all of the nuanced things. Um, like he's ready to be an NFL receiver right now. He's ready to hit the field and and get rolling, which the Saints needed desperately. I mean like enough already with Marquez Calloway and enough like don't I don't need to hear the name Traquan Smith like ever again okay so um you know and Michael Thomas is a guy that like they they think he's going to be there this year and beyond and he seems excited about Chris Olave being there too you know former Ohio State guy himself so with Michael Thomas and Chris Olave like that's two guys that can get open you know and for Olave too he is Whereas maybe Michael Thomas's route tree has mostly been based around the short routes, you know, slants and flats. And I mean, we'll see. We, we haven't gotten to see him with Jameis yet. Um, he might rock a little more from a deeper intermediate perspective um, than with like what was left of Drew Brees at the end of his career. But Olave, you know, I think obviously everybody talks about the smooth route running and the separation and his ability to get off the line of scrimmage, everything like that. But he's also an unreal ball tracker down the field. So to me, I think he is, if you're talking about who's going to produce the most from a fantasy perspective in year one, I think Chris Olave is the favorite to do that right now. I think from a volume perspective, you're 100% correct. Also folding into this equation, the fact that Alvin Kamara's legal troubles are moving into August and that might move into the season. This is a complicated case um, and it doesn't bode well, frankly, for Kamara based on the allegations and evidence that we have today in April. So if Kamara is not available for at least a part of the year, or a couple of weeks, then there's that many more pass-catching opportunities for Olave. Yeah, it's a great point. Next up, Jamison Williams, who was a teammate at Ohio State and was looked around and was like, nah, man. Like, I'm, I, I want I'm my- getting out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. And so, um, interestingly, the Detroit Lions traded up to the 12th pick to get him. It was Minnesota's pick. Jamison Williams, this is a guy that I will say Eric Edholm, very, very high on, much higher on him than I am. I'm interested to hear because we haven't talked prospects what your take was. Yeah, I th- I really like Jamison Williams, obviously. I think he's the best downfield receiver in the class. He was fourth for me um, behind uh, Drake London, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson, but still, I think, a tier one receiver. I think he... It's interesting because like, for, and this means nothing from like a fantasy angle, but I actually think the landing spot that he ended up getting here with Detroit perfectly encapsulates the point that I think he actually has a really great floor as a prospect because even if he never develops into a number one receiver, like I think some of these other guys can, you know, he's going to present a lot of tactical value um, because of his, uh, his speed, because like, you know, you see him two or three times a game run by everybody on like SEC defenses, you know, like he's got unbelievable speed and he could be a deep threat and it was weird that my first reaction to, <laughs> to Jameson Williams getting picked was like oh great news for Amon Ross St. Brown stretch out the defense and let him eat sure. underneath you know which is stupid which is weird that like my first reaction to this receiver they traded up for this guy they was an aggressive move the Lions clearly targeted him as like you know if we're keeping like the Bud Light Cooper Cup designation for Amon Ross St. Brown like maybe this is the the Brandon Cook's version of that, like 2018 Saints uh, uh, Rams team there, you know, if, if we're keeping that connective tissue with Jared Goff and Brad Holmes alive and everything. So I don't know, weirdly enough, like I, I, I think it's, it's definitely a worse landing spot than 
for than what Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Drake Lund- London come down from from a fantasy perspective. But there was a, what they needed though was they needed speed and they needed somebody who could win outside. And, and Jamison Williams is certainly that. They also have DJ Chark there on a one year prove it. Um, I bet he's bummed, even if Jared Goff uh, was thrilled to see they didn't trade up for a quarterback. DJ Chark's got to be a little bit bummed, but I am, I am not. Let's not forget that Williams tore his ACL in January of yeah. 2022. So like Chark will have some time this year. Yeah, he's going to be in there. And a lot of these rookies always talk about their um, rookie plateau, right? Because their rookie season is a longer season than all of the vets, not just because they're learning playbooks, but because they're constantly training and testing and doing all of that. So if you're coming off of an injury and you're coming to a new system, and frankly, you're coming to Detroit, which has some culture issues, I said the C word, I am just wondering how quickly we're going to get an ROI here, which was kind of why I was not as high on him as Ed Holm from the jump. I think it's a great landing spot in theory. I'm just Definitely. This is one of the um, training camp battles, I guess you could say, or training camp notes that I'm going to be keeping an eye on because I want to see how quickly he's adjusting and how much playing time DJ Chark's getting with the ones. Yeah, certainly will be something to watch all summer long is where is Jameson Williams at from a health perspective? When are we going to see him out there? Okay, this next player, I think every year I have a a favorite player. Maybe not like number one, but this is like the guy that I'm just enamored with. It's Jahan Dotson, 16th pick to the Commanders. Don't worry, Washington fans. It's not Josh Doxson. It's Jahan <laughs> Dotson. Very, very different. <laughs> Don't have a heart I didn't even attack. Think of, I didn't even think about that because I, I definitely called. I said Josh Doxson when I was trying to talk about Jahan Dotson like a couple months ago on a stream or something. And, oh, no, that's going to. Oh, Don't. No, that's gonna, I, I'm ta- yeah. it's, you, this is better juju. This is new juju. Jahan Dotson. Totally different types of players. Yeah. Absolutely. Jahan Dotson is like, I mean, you heard it on the broadcast, the best hands in the draft, the best hand in the draft. More than that to me, though, is that he is a mistake-free player, not just in his hands, but in his route running, in his polish, in his boundary awareness, in his body control, in his ball tracking. This guy is f***ing precise. And I yeah. love someone who dots I's and crosses T's. And I think this is a fantastic, a fantastic pick for the commanders. I don't know how much I love Carson Wentz, though. If you're going to have a quarterback as inaccurate as Wentz, then go ahead and get him a, just a Jahan Dotson. Yeah. I mean, Nate, that's Did you hear I my said accent earlier. come out on that too, on that last bit? Yeah. Just too excited. Too excited, yeah. I mean, which I get. And this is Jahan Dotson's a very exciting player, um, and and like I said, you know, earlier, he, he's he's familiar working with bad quarterbacks. Like <laughs> this too. is yeah. that that was uh, that was way worse. Like I thought I felt bad for Drake London and his quarterback play, and then I watched Jahan Dotson. It was like, oh, this is worse. This is way worse. But yeah, I mean, ultra reliable player. Uh, obviously, great hands. You mentioned best hands in the draft. Best one of the best contested catch receivers in the draft, despite his size. You know, great at plucking balls away from his frame, and he obviously is a smaller player, but good route runner. One of the best zone beating receivers. Like I think he just so cleanly to like a Doug Baldwin type of player, an explosive hmm. slot guy um, with great hands. And, you know, Russell Wilson's not a bad quarterback, like freaking Sean Clifford or whatever his name is from <laughs> Penn State or, um, uh, you know, Carson Wentz. But, you know, during Doug Baldwin's like peak years with the Seahawks, he was had to bail or he had bail Russell Wilson out or, you know, adjust to Russell Wilson doing the scramble stuff. It's why it kind of makes sense to me from like a comp perspective. Look, I know that that it seems like a reach. 
because Dotson was, you know, maybe like a late first round, round two type of guy. And but you traded back to do it. And like, who gives a damn about like media boards or whatever? Dotson's going to he's going to be a good player to me. I think he's going to be a clean pro. And like, you know, I I love Curtis Samuel. I love Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin's in the last year of his deal. Um, Curtis Samuel obviously had a real problem staying healthy last year. So like now you're not banking on like, all right, now we got to have Curtis Samuel back healthy. Like you've got somebody in there who's different than Curtis Samuel. Somebody who's a little different than Terry McLaurin. And that's again, he's just a good I think he's going to be a good player whether he ever develops into a number one receiver I don't know but like Terry McLaurin was a third round pick you know and I think Terry McLaurin's a number one receiver so these guys can come from anywhere and it's an it seems like an aggressive move but I still really totally understand like why a team would fall in love with Jahan Dotson from an organization like Washington though I think it is a calculated move and I like to see that just hit it from a team that is not calculated it is interesting while you're talking about this I'm thinking that like we like Olave and Dotson to me are probably two of the most pro ready can go tomorrow and play. They may not have like Dotson may not be as toolsy, right? We're going to talk about Traylon Burks next and Jamison Williams has the crazy speed and Drake London has the size, but like there aren't nearly as many question marks about September surrounding Olave and Dotson as there are about some of these other players who maybe project to have a higher ceiling, but aren't as equipped as route runners immediately coming out. And I think that you're seeing a team like New Orleans, a team like Washington, rely on that higher floor, which I I think is pretty smart. Um, From a fantasy perspective, Dotson is obviously crushed by Carson Wentz a little bit, but I do (laughs) think that there is a volume play here, especially if Curtis Samuel can't stay on the field. Yeah, Traylon Burks, I mentioned him. He is the last wide receiver we're going to talk about, the last wide receiver taken in the first round with the 18th pick to Tennessee, as I mentioned earlier, to replace A.J. Brown, who a lot of people had comped him to, not me, but a lot of people did. Um, And now he is joining Robert Woods. Here's a reminder for someone who may not have been paying attention, but Robert Woods is no longer with the Rams. He is now with the Titans. Um, First thing I want to say, because I'm mentioning Robert Woods, is that I have to imagine that if the Titans were comfortable making this trade, they must also feel pretty comfortable about Woods' medicals. Yeah, I mean, I think they did have Julio Jones last year, so hold on. Yeah, fair point. Um, and that and that went so well. Mike Vrabel clearly loved having Julio Jones around. That that really really worked out. I think when you look at the Titans, clearly, like John Robinson said after uh, after the first round was over, that you know they just didn't think they were going to get the contract done. They just didn't think they were going to come to an agreement with AJ Brown. And this is a team that has is a little strapped, right? Like they're a little. They're, I know they can get out from Ryan Tannehill's contract, but. Do they want to get out? Like, where do they view Ryan Tannehill at this point? I think the fact that they didn't, that they traded away their top receiver and didn't take a first round quarterback actually kind of shows you they maybe they buy in on Ryan Tannehill. They're still financially committed to Derrick Henry. They're still financially committed to this version of the Titans, which is this, you know, run first, tough, fast, physical team in the image of Mike Vrabel and who I think is a good coach. Uh, so they're 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 still a little strapped in that way. They re-signed Harold Landry this offseason. They've got some big contracts, and they clearly just AJ Brown wasn't going to be one of them. So I think you know the Robert Woods Let thing is kind of hedging that. Yeah, go ahead. The the money piece of it though, I looked this up because I I was thinking about that and thinking from a financial point of view, like this makes a lot of sense. Um, and it means having faith in your coaches to 
coach these guys up, but um, they have the only team with less cap space than the Titans is the 49ers. Oh, what about the Giants? They've got to be out. They've got to be down there too. But uh, yeah, they've, they've got like, they got no cap room. But yeah, they're they're in a tough spot. Uh, and obviously the 49ers are in a tough spot because freaking Jimmy Garoppolo is still, you know, his contract's still in the books. So yeah, the Titans are in a, they're in a tough spot there with A.J. Brown. And like, they're hoping that Traylon Burks becomes like the next A.J. Brown. And I'm glad to hear you didn't comp him to A.J. Brown because I mean, from like, I think Kurt Warner said it best in the NFL Network broadcast, like, Sometimes you got to be careful about comping guys just because they look like each other. You know, they're built the same way or whatever. But I think Traylon Burks comps more to like a Juju Smith-Schuster type of receiver, you know, who should hmm. play inside, who, you know, is is pretty good after the catch. Like, I think Traylon Burks is a talented player in the open field, but I don't know how you watch him and not come away thinking, like, he's raw. He's He's not – he can't – win against press coverage from a technical perspective he doesn't get open against man coverage from a technical perspective like he can make big plays and you know maybe he gets there but he was just used in such a strange way in college you know in that kind of like gadgety create a touch way like it's not quite Kadarius Tony bad in terms of like how he was used or where he's at from a route running perspective like I thought Kadarius Tony was he's starting at square one as a route runner, it's Traylon Burks is not that far off. It's not that extreme, but it's not, you know, he's not pro ready. He's not ready to play right away. I don't think unless it's in a big slot receiver role, which the Titans could conceivably have him play that role. I think the other side of that coin is that because he was used in so many ways, I don't want to use the word gadgety because that like conjures up images of Tavon Austin. Yeah. And I think like yeah, connotes, yeah less than it's a pejorative term at this point it is but um I think it's also proof that his football IQ is really high and he can be a versatile player and if he was able to catch on to these many schemes so successfully then if told to focus on pure route running cover like more typical coverages then the assumption would be he'd be able to master those in a limited amount of time but there is still a window in which he needs to master those. And Robert Woods is coming off of an ACL injury and jogged for the first time out of the tunnel with the Rams at the Super Bowl. So, yeah. you know, this, but, but again, it's a low volume situation. And I mean, I don't know if, uh, what, what's his name? Todd Downing can get creative <laughs> enough. Yeah, we'll see. The former tight ends coach. I mean, he was the OC last year, but he was the you know, promoted um, from being the tight ends coach. Like, I don't know if Todd Downing can get creative enough and Burks can catch on fast enough to be utilized in a really effective way immediately. Evolution takes time. This is part of the like deal with fantasy. Like, it would not surprise me to see Traylon Burks starting to, similarly to K Kadarius Tony, frankly, like all of a sudden he rips off some big plays and there's some yak moments and it's incredible. And then it just isn't sustainable. Yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if his rookie year goes that way as well. Last pick that we're going to discuss was the only quarterback picked in the first round. Kenny Pickett with the 20th pick stays in Pittsburgh, but goes to the Steelers. Kenny Pickett. Um, what were your thoughts on Kenny Pickett as a prospect? Um, I like Kirk Cousins-esque was yeah, kind of yeah. my thought. Um, I, I actually, and I said this to Eric, like I major props for being 
the most improved player at the position. Um, I, I like to see like practice makes progress. There's no such thing as sure. perfect. And I think Kenny Pickett really embodied that. But I also feel like there were other quarterbacks, Desmond Ritter, frankly, who also did that at a similar clip. And Pickett just seems to be the favorite. I, I, I don't think the space, honestly, between him and Ritter is as vast as everyone else does. But like, I also think it's strange that the Steelers signed Mitch Trubisky like immediately after the legal tampering window opened. They signed Mitch Trubisky to a two-year deal. It's only worth fifteen million, about fifteen million. Uh, I think there's like five million in incentives added onto that. But all of the talk coming out of Pittsburgh was that they wanted to see a more mobile quarterback. They didn't want to have the statue. They wanted a new era quarterback after so many years with Big Ben. And Trubisky kind of fit that bill. And I do think Pickett gets knocked for not being as athletic as he is. But I also don't feel like this is that to the nth degree or more than Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, it's like slightly leaning into it. Yeah. It's not... Total, although like uh you know Daniel Jeremiah comped him to like kind of like a more athletic Matt Hasselback, which I think is interesting. Like uh, it's I mean I guess I'm like <laughs> my brain back. Like... my brain's trying to like put athletic Matt Hasselback together. It's a little tough. Um, but I would say this from like a fantasy perspective. Obviously, Pickett's not going to bring the juice that like Malik Willis would as an individual fantasy producer. But if you're wanting to invest in like. Najee Harris as a pass catcher or Deontay Johnson, you know, as a target hog again, or, you know, you want to get back on the chase Claypool bandwagon. And I think the Steelers probably are going to take a, a receiver at some point yeah. in this draft as well. You want them to be with a player like De Kenny Pickett or Desmond Ritter too, but more so than a Malik Willis, just because the overall offensive volume has historically we've seen like rookie passers in general are not good for wide receivers, but like mobile rookie passers, definitely not good for wide receiver target totals of fantasy. So um, that was the one takeaway I had like it, for, from a fantasy angle, like Malik Willis would have probably been like a, uh, who knows when he was even going to play. Um, but Kenny Pickett probably ready to play closer to week one than some of these other guys, especially like a Malik Willis would be, I guess that's the consensus. And, you know, he could potentially be like a really good distributor for a guy like Deontay Johnson. We'll see if he hits. I, I don't know. I, I don't have like a great feeling about, I mean, we're not going to have like a great feeling about any of these quarterbacks, but certainly with Kenny Pickett, like it's a good ecosystem, but if it does feel like the Steelers aren't fully leaning into that identity that we thought they might have been. Mm -hmm. I, I also am not sure he's going to start. Like, why are we so sure that he's going to beat out? Yeah, yeah, he might not. I mean, San Francisco traded up to the third <laughs> pick and let their quarterback sit all year. Kenny yeah. Pickett is going at the 20th. So, I mean, this, like, I also just want to think about for a second that there was one quarterback taken in the first round compared to what happened last year and not till the 20th pick. And it's like a good story. It's the narrative yeah. and the hometown kid and like all of Kevin that. Kevin Colbert just... leaving him with a quarterback, you know, just like uh, Ozzie Newsom did for the Ravens, that whole thing, like in his last year's yeah. GM. So, you know, the feel good stories are here, I guess. I, I mean, I'm going to ask you this on our close. Who do you think, in your gut, is going to be the Steelers' starting quarterback week one? Um, I think not Mason Rudolph, thank God. <laughs> we, don't, we, can, we can All those little cutesy headlines about, we're comfortable with Mason Rudolph. We never have to, like, that's, we, it's good to know that some, some level of sanity prevails in the craziest offseason ever, that we knew that was BS. 
and it was BS. I think I think it'll be Kenny Pickett. I think I think you do. We think you think he's going to beat out Trubisky. Yeah, I think. I mean, Trubisky is Trubisky. Yeah, but the story is that he like starts and it gets snatched away. So I feel like you know you. (laughs) I also really want to see what he learned under Josh Allen. Like I I don't know. I'm intrigued by this. I I feel like Trubisky is going to be one of those like sneaky super flex ads that like get you someplace, and then in October you got to make other plans. Yeah. What you know, like what Andy Dalton could have been last year, or what the Bears only the Bears Listen thought Andy you. Dalton Listen only only the me. only the Bears thought Andy Dalton was going to be last year. It was like let's get us to October with steady, competent play, and then we'll make the move to the rookie. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> On that, I don't know. It's horrible. It's, yeah, this, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. The know. whole the whole vibe to... is like, well, it's just it's a it's a reboot. It's like the reboot of the scream franchise. Like we just don't know like what's going to work, what pieces have to happen. It's another, it's, I feel like the Steelers are like, kind of like the fast five series. Like every once in a while, they're absolute fire. But then like Vin Diesel gets in a fight with the rock and it's trash for a minute. I haven't seen a fast and furious movie in like 20 years. How about a final destination movie? I did. I got my hair cut a little while ago and that was playing in the, waiting chair area the one where the like final destination three so fd3 that's the best one the one where the two girls get roasted in the tanning bed that's a tough one to watch (laughs) on that note (laughs) it's been a long night the chaos reigns supreme we brought the chaos from the draft into your pod we hope you enjoy it. That's going to do it for this episode. You can follow me on Twitter at Liz Loza underscore FF. Follow Matt at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, make sure you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. Andy, Scott, and Dalton, those fine gentlemen, will be back with a full recap of the entire draft on Sunday night. Until then, we're out. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.